You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the WGLC session, What No One Tells You About the Oil Field. Marcel Diaz and I, Jamie Elrod, will be talking to y'all about specific things going on in today's world in the oil field but also a breakdown of basics on what the oil field is, what we provide, things outside of just what you see at the pump, and some detailed information around. Dude, my first intro, like all I can think about is trying to copy that in my head and I can't. I know. So let's start with our introduction so you get to know us, your hosts, for today's session. So my name is Maciel Diaz. I grew up in Canada and I decided to study chemical engineering. I really had no idea that I was ever going to join the oil and gas industry as it was completely out of my radar. And again, I didn't really know anything about it and it seemed dark and you know male dominated. So it wasn't really a calling for me. However, I was walking around at a career fair in my last year and I noticed that there was a company called Slumberger that was promoting women in STEM and women in oil and gas. So it kind of caught my attention and I decided to look into it. I got a job with them and I started as a frack engineer intern for the summer. And honestly, it was history since then. I loved the industry. I loved the people in it. And I just knew that this was it for me. So after that, I worked in wireline as a field engineer for about four more years after that. And then I decided to get into a sales role as my field experience kind of was over and decided to move into the office. And now I'm here in Houston. I take care of all our perforating pump down products for North America for Slumberger. And I met Jamie here and we decided to start flipping the barrel. But we'll tell you a little bit about flipping the barrel after Jamie tells her side of the story. What I love about Marcel and I's back history is she's actually a chemical engineer and I went to school and studied marketing and business communication with a minor in economics. So nothing compared to the oil industry at the time, but what I did know is that I was interested in energy because it fuels our world. So when I actually was found on RigZone, shout out to RigZone, LinkedIn, these are great resources for you if you're looking for a job. I actually got a offer from Slumberger. And so that was my first job and first entry into the oil field where I started in the field selling drill bits. So not having a technical knowledge never held me back. And I think that's something to be said for anybody listening to this, that maybe you are going to get an engineering degree, or maybe you're going to go into supply chain and something else. All of these fields can be supported by oil and gas. So we definitely need you here. So my career has always been sales related. I sold everything from drill bits to downhole motors. So now I am currently a senior account manager for Next Year Oil Field Solutions. And what we do is we sell frac, wireline, coil, and I'm over these accounts here in Houston. I have learned an immense amount and I'm sure y'all are very interested in frack as that is something that has been all over the world and over the news recently. So we'll jump into a few details about that during our session here. Uh, Also, we'd like to tell you a little bit about flipping the barrel. So why don't you go ahead, Macy? Yeah, so flipping the barrel started a little bit over a year ago, shortly after Jamie and I met. We met on social media and we hit it off and we decided 
let's talk about our careers. Let's talk about our industry because we were both so passionate about it when we first started talking that we were like, the world needs to hear more of these stories because we do have a bad rep to the people outside of the industry. And also us being in the industry, not many people talk about it. Not many people share their experiences and their careers. So we decided to start flipping the barrel to really just shine a light, a positive one on the oil and gas industry and the people in it. Because at the end of the day, I think what makes our industry so awesome and why I love it so much is obviously the people in it. They're really awesome people and we're a close knit as an industry. We are all very connected. So that's what Flipping the Barrel is about. If you want to check it out, go to www.flippingthebarrel.com. We have a ton of episodes, both women and men who are very successful and share their careers. And also on LinkedIn, we have a Flipping the Barrel page or Instagram. So make sure you tune in and check us out later. So Now that we have told you guys about who we are and you kind of get a little bit of a background, let's dig in. So like Jamie said, this is really aimed for middle school to high school. So the information that we're going to provide is a little bit somewhat basic. If you are a professional, you'll notice. So let's dig in. So the oil and gas industry is one of the largest sectors in the world in terms of dollar value. It generates around $3.3 trillion in revenue annually. That's a lot. Oil is crucial to global economic frameworks to make the world move. And it is crucial to our daily lives. And you'll see once Jamie and I start telling you a little bit about what comes out of a barrel. Now, the largest producers in the world are the United States, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Canada, and China. The oil and gas industry is broken down into three segments. You have upstream, middle stream, and downstream. So let me just explain a little bit of what each of these three mean. So upstream is everything from exploration and production. So mainly ENP companies find reservoirs and they start drilling wells, oil and gas wells, and they complete it. So basically both Jamie and I work in the upstream sector of the industry. Midstream is everything once you finish completing the well, how does the oil and the gas get from the well to the refineries. All that transportation within that frame is considered midstream. And downstream, which is the third and final one, is the refining of the oil and as well as selling the finished product. So it's basically the refineries and then what you see at the pump when you're putting fuel into your car or all the products that you probably purchase on a daily basis, but you don't know have oil in it. That is considered downstream. So we're going to get a little bit into that in a little bit, but now Jamie's going to talk to us about what are hydrocarbons. Yes, yeah, so what are hydrocarbons? This is what we extract, transport, and sell. So hydrocarbons are made up of crude oil and natural gas, which are naturally occurring substances found in rock in the Earth's crust. These organic raw materials are created by the compression of the remains of plants and animals in sedimentary rocks such as sandstone, limestone, and shell. And what's really interesting about this is when I was selling drill bits, we used to look at rock dynamics. And we would base drill bits on what type of rock formation we'd be drilling. So you saw a lot of sandstone, limestone, and of course, shell. What's even more interesting about that is a lot of limestone is on the houses. So when you see the beautiful homes with the kind of tan, whitish colored stone, that can be found to be limestone. So these stones are used in all different sorts of industries. So not only do we drill through this rock, but we also use this rock on our houses. So I thought that was a pretty cool coincidence as well. 
Totally. And I'm going to talk a little bit, what is a barrel? Now, even if you're not in the industry, you always hear about the barrel of oil. What is the price of the barrel? It's a constant barrel. And that's why we also named our podcast Flipping the Barrel, because there is a big connotation around barrel. So let me explain what it is. So it's actually just a unit of measurement that ENP companies use to measure the oil in terms of quantities. One barrel of oil is equal to 42 U.S. gallons. So that is a lot. And that's kind of just a unit of measurement, just like you would say one mile or, you know, one Celsius or one Fahrenheit. It is just a unit of measurement. You will notice that the industry is constantly talking about the price per barrel per day. It is in constant fluctuation. You will see the price may go up one day and down the next day. And the way the price of oil is determined is a simple equation of supply versus demand. So yeah, that's what it is. Now, Jamie, tell us what could be made from that one barrel of oil, 42 U.S. gallons. Yes. So for those that want to kind of equate the gallons, like think of like a one gallon of milk, like that 42 times, uh, that's what's in one barrel. So it is, it is a lot. And so what can make up one barrel of oil? Well, oil gets a bad rap these days, as many of us have heard recently. But this stuff is actually quite incredible. Many people think of crude as a thick black liquid that is used to source or unquenchable thirst for gasoline. So a lot of people just think oil and gas in a pump, and that's the only correlation that they have with it. However, the reality is that each barrel of oil is refined to be used in a variety of applications that include fuel, cosmetics. So all you girls listening, your makeup is all basically made out of oil, plastics, rubber, paint, candle wax, and much more. So if you think about it, in one 42-gallon barrel of oil, about 19 gallons of that will be used for a fuel source. And the rest is actually refined and made into byproducts. So we're going to go through some of those byproducts uh, here in a minute. But Mossdale is going to tell you a little bit of a breakdown of what that one barrel of oil can produce. Yep. So if you take one barrel... This is how many byproducts you can make. So you have enough gasoline to drive a medium-sized car for over 280 miles or 450 kilometers. You have enough distillate fuel to drive a large truck for 65 kilometers or 40 miles. Nearly 70 kilowatt per hour of electricity at a power plant generated by residual fuel. Four pounds of charcoal briquettes for barbecues or cooking enough propane to fill 12 14-ounce cylinders for home and camping or workshop use. That you also, you know, you take camping and you make sure that, you know, you could provide fuel outside. Enough propane to fill cylinders for home. Asphalt to make about 3.8 liters of tar patching for roofs and streets. So yes, even your parking asphalt, the streets, the shingles on your roof, a lot of that also contains byproducts of oil. Lubricants to make about one quart of motor oil. And let's not forget birthday parties. Mm -hmm. It makes 170 birthday candles for birthdays. That's a lot of birthdays. (laughs) Yeah. After producing all those above products that Masiel talked about, there's enough petrochemicals left over used in one of the following. And y'all are really going to like this. So 39 polyester shirts. So yeah, the clothes that you're probably wearing right now as you're listening to us is made from a byproduct of oil. 750 pocket combs, 540 toothbrushes, 
65 plastic dustpans, 23 hula hoops, 65 plastic drinking cups, 195 one cup measuring cups, 11 plastic telephone housings, and a 135 four inch rubber ball. So a lot comes from one barrel of oil. And not to mention diapers, pacifiers, toys, all these things used by your parents when you were a baby from all around the world are made with oil or natural gas or both. And the U.S. alone consumed 7.3 billion barrels of petroleum in 2017. Just imagine the amount of oil that that equates to. Yeah, that's crazy. I think when you actually start thinking about it, you realize how important our industry is and how many touch points we have. And even on daily basis, even if you thought, I don't need oil or why is oil important? We don't realize all the things around us. So we're going to throw you guys a few things out of a huge list that you didn't know probably that also contain some sort of oil product in it. So your cell phone, your laptops that you're on daily, fertilizers for your grass, clothing, like Jamie mentioned, a lot of your shirt or pants are made from oil, toothpaste, shampoos, makeup, like Jamie mentioned, so many things. Your Colgate toothpaste is made from oil and the plastic um, housing that it's in too. Your hand soaps, so all those hand soaps that keep you very clean, especially during this time of COVID, your hand sanitizer, bottles that you use. What's really interesting is for anybody who likes to fish, your fishing rod is all made from petroleum products too. You know, the list goes on. It's really amazing when you think about your daily lives, how much is used of oil. But more important, Jamie, tell us how oil is also in the medical supplies and how important they are to hospitals and for, you know, for our own health department. Yeah. So outside of the products that we use on a daily basis, oil really does save lives. So if you've ever gone to a hospital, most of the products that you see there are made from a byproduct of oil. If you've broken your arm and you had to get an MRI, those devices are made from products of oil. Pacemakers, ID bags, tubes, surgical instruments, monitors, glasses, your contact lenses, So, so many things that we have to do to survive and to take care of each other are made from byproducts of oil. And where this really hit home is the COVID-19 pandemic. There was a lot of things that were needed in a short amount of time. And if it wasn't for the oil industry and the plastic industry, we would have never been able to provide what we have today. And some of these things, you know, we wouldn't even think was a byproduct of oil. Marcel, why don't you tell them about the masks? Yeah, I mean, masks have protected us for the last few months against this virus, and virtually all the components of the N95 masks are made from petroleum products, and even the non-petroleum parts like steel and aluminum require oil or natural gas as part of the manufacturing process. So it just shows you that even in the biggest, you know, pandemic that we've ever had, you know, here comes in the oil and gas industry to help out. So those are all things that we wanted to make sure, you know, the younger generation is aware of, because like we mentioned earlier, we do sometimes get a bad rep for polluting the world or for, you know, being quote unquote, dirty oil and all that. But you know, there are a lot of positives. And that's why Jamie and I both really love working here as well. And then also, I've always I've always said, 
if you want to help the planet, if you want to work towards renewables, if you want to help with cleaner energy and all those things, I tell you right now, the best place to be is in the oil and gas industry. Because if you want to create change and you want to bring new ideas and you want to help that transition, come work with us because this is where all the changes are going to be made. So instead of staying on the other side and you know, pointing fingers towards the industry, come join and be part of the solution. So that's something that I've always resonated with. And I, I remember even when I was a lot younger looking into the oil and gas industry, someone said that to me once. And I thought, you know, if you want to be part of the solution, first be part of the problem to help to get to the solution. So anyways, Jamie, tell us a little bit more passive byproducts of oil and gas and break it down into energy usage. Yeah, so what's really interesting about this and to kind of pivot on what Maciel said is that, you know, this industry it brings a wealth of inexpensive energy around the world. So a lot of up and coming countries are able to fuel and stay warm and have electricity because of oil and gas. And so that's just a huge resource that, you know, we're able to provide. And so just a breakdown here of what the U.S. is using, and I know we have some international people here as well, but these stats will be for the, for the U.S. mainly. So about 63% of electricity is from fossil fuels. 20% of the total electricity is from nuclear, and 70, 17% is from renewables. So there is a piece of renewables in that. So we are currently already working together to strive with the renewable space. Heating and cooling accounts for 55 to 60% of the electric usage. So especially here where I live in Texas, it's really hot. So I couldn't imagine not having my air conditioning on. Oh, yeah. And that is something that we definitely need help with when it comes to energy usage. So with natural gas and electricity usage, it's a very easy source to get into the home. When you have to use a different renewable source, it cannot, sometimes it can be found to not be as consistent. So that's what's really great about what our industry provides is we have a fueling source that is going to be consistent and something we can rely on. Natural gas is used to keep 76% of homes and commercial properties. And the average household uses 855 kilowatts per month. And with those households, about 130 million in the U.S. alone use 855 kilowatts. So it's a lot of usage. So that's 10,100,000 megawatts of demand on average every day in just the U.S. So an even bigger numbers, 3.7 trillion kilowatts were demanded in 2019 alone. So as you can see, we consume a lot of energy. We really do. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, just turning on the light or putting on the oven or, you know, heating the water before you take a bath, like all of these things are there because of the oil and gas industry. And it's really easy to forget because we're so used to it. We almost take it for granted. But if you were to cut your electricity one day, like when there is a natural disaster and you realize like, wow, not having light at night, sucks you know like all those little things not having wi-fi not having your laptop or your phone to be able to use wi-fi you know like we are so dependent on it we only realize once it's you know taken away another thing and we're not going to get too much into renewables that should definitely be another session one day but you know the oil and gas industry we work 
in conjunction with the renewables. If you look at a lot of the big players like Shell, Chevron, BP, they're all investing in renewables. And really, we are in that space with the whole energy transition. We are part of the energy transition. So as someone in oil and gas industry, like we are totally for it. And we're also for the planet. I mean, I recycle, I try to use less plastic. I use, you know, I reuse all my bags. I bought tons of stuff on Amazon, like no plastic straws, right? So there are a lot of things that you could do, even though you're in oil and gas, doesn't mean that you're against saving the planet and that you're against, you know, renewables. So it's just really learning to work together and how to make our world better together. Because like Jamie mentioned, sure, renewables are coming and they're very important for our planet. But if we think about it realistically, worldwide, it's just not going to happen from one day to the next. There's a transition, which is why if you're interested, you should definitely go look and read or watch videos on the energy transition because it's a lot more complicated than we think. And like I said in the beginning, I do work for Next Tier Oil Field Services, and we do provide a service called FRAC. And with FRAC, with fracking, we actually have developed a dual fuel system. So what this means is we actually use field gas and diesel to run our fleets. And this really cuts back on emissions and carbon footprint. So if you've ever ridden in your car, or maybe with your parents, and the engine shuts off. We have that as well in our fleet. So, you know, when things, it's called hibernating. So there's many things that we're doing and creating within the industry to help reduce our carbon footprint, which is just another reason why we need you to come, especially on the service side, and help think of the next best thing that we can do. So did you know oil and gas supports your school? I thought it'd be great to kind of share with you a few things that we're doing today to help support STEM in the future. So some pretty interesting facts is there's a permanent school fund that's recently become the largest educational endowment in America, and it's valued at over $44 billion. And this money will be available for states, public schools in perpetuity. And because of this money generated by West Texas oil and natural gas, UT Austin is using millions from the fund to help offer free tuition to students with family income less than $65,000 starting next year. That's a really exciting program that you should definitely look into. Another one on STEM is that Exxon has been a constant advocate for STEM education. Worldwide, the company has contributed $1.25 billion to education programs since 2000. Here in Texas, Exxon champions numerous programs that aim to inspire and prepare students for a career in the energy industry, including STEM camps, professional development camps for STEM all around the world. So even if you're international, you can definitely come to one of these camps. There also is a program that's called Introduce a Girl to Engineering. They have events that feature company employees. There's a lot of great things that Exxon's doing as well, and I highly recommend y'all looking into that. And what's even more interesting, which I think is really great for y'all, is these efforts are critical because the data is showing that there's not enough students pursuing STEM. And in oil and gas alone, 
there's going to be a need for 1.9 million workers between 2015 and 2035. So expanding our STEM education opportunities will be critical for not just the U.S., but international as well. So you're talking about a lot of jobs that are going to be opening up in this space. So for y'all listening, I really recommend going and checking out some of those programs and looking into how you can get involved. Totally. And I mean, Jamie just mentioned, you know, a few companies that are doing a lot to give back. But really, if you look at any of the operators or even service companies worldwide, a lot of them give back to the community and give back to the world. For COVID, I mean, a lot of funds were given by oil producers, as well as whenever there is a hurricane or a natural disaster. I mean, oil companies and service companies are really always one of the first to come in and try to help with their funds. So it's worth noting that we do give back quite a bit to the rest of the world when in need. And just to finish off, I want to leave you with a few questions. So how many times a month do you order things from Amazon? I know it's, or, or not even just Amazon, just online with the lockdowns. I feel like, you know, online e-commerce has gone through the roof. And when you think about it, in order for you to get your package at the door, you used a lot of oil without thinking about it. One there's probably some oil byproducts or products in the products that you purchase, but also how it got across on a boat from overseas, how it got on an airplane to get to the nearest warehouse, how the warehouse dropped it off and delivered it at your house through one of the Amazon cars. So like when you think about it, there is so many touch points again. Now let's pretend the borders were all open and there was no COVID. I mean, you would probably flying home for Christmas to see some family members or you'd have family members flying to come see you. All the travels and all the vacations that you're taking have a lot of, you know, fuel and oil needed in order to make that plane fly as well as the cruises, all the vacations, the, the buses that you'll take. So it's just, again, we're just trying to showcase how much of importance this industry really is. How do you drive to work every day? How do you drive to school every day? How do you heat your home during the summers? How do you have AC during the, you know, during the really hot summers here in Texas, et cetera? So it's just, we just wanted to leave you with a few of these, you know, last questions for you to think about and really think when you're thinking of going in STEM. Like Jamie mentioned, there's a lot of opportunity for you, not just in oil and gas, but in renewables, in manufacturing. I mean, STEM is so broad and we really do need a lot of younger people coming to pursue those education and careers. Yes. And just to go off what Maciel said too, even with your electric vehicles, you have to plug them in in power. So we also fuel that power source as well. So that's just another way we're working with renewables to be partners. So please go and check us out. Check out www.flippingthebrill.com. Look us up on Apple Podcasts. There's a lot of great and inspiring stories that I think will get you very interested in the industry. Also inspire you in all different ways, just in your daily life as well. And thank you so much for joining our session. And we hope to see you in one of the meetups. I know there's going to be some happy hours going on and some one-on-ones. Please reach out to Marcel and I, and we'd be so happy to speak with you.
Totally. All right. We'll see you guys at the virtual cocktail hour. Hope everybody has an excellent rest of your week as well as checking out all the amazing speakers and sessions that this year WGLC has put together. So thank you again to Melissa, who is a huge part of WGLC. I feel like she makes this event happen with all her hard work. And we just really want to thank her. And thank you guys for all the support on Flipping the Barrel this far. Have an excellent rest of your conference.